0: The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you command me to come to you on the water, he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? After they had got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly you are. Or the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Please forgive me for starting Mass a little late. This is my first 9 p.m. Mass, um, so I was kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit. Just to give you um, a few announcements, if you'll, if you'll uh, excuse me, uh, Father Sibley asked me to do this. Here at Wisdom, we have a tradition of our air conditioner breaking every four every year for the past four years, and this year is consistent. It broke again, and so even though while we don't have any ushers at this mass, at least I don't think maybe if there are are there any ushers. Okay, no ushers. Okay, so even though we don't have any ushers at this mass, what we're doing now at Wisdom is we're opening up a Venmo account. It's all Father Sibley's idea, but once the operatory rolls around. Pull out your phones and pull up Raging Cajun Catholics on the Venmo account. And feel free to donate as much money as you want. We'll take it all. We're very, very kind in that regard. So, that's, uh, that's about it for the announcements. Many years ago, whenever I was in high school, I took a public speaking class. And one of the things that the teacher taught us was that if you want to succeed, I mean, if you really want to thrive and live life well you got to first and foremost, believe in yourself. And at first I thought this was a great idea, believe in myself. If I just simply had confidence in myself, if I simply just trusted my abilities, everything will work out for me. I truly believed that for a long time until I got to seminary. And one of the things I noticed was that every seminarian that was thrown out for whatever reason it was never the reason, now that, granted, it's not like this is a common thing, guys get kicked out of seminary, but it happened. And if that did happen, it was never because the guy didn't believe, believe in himself. In fact, on the contrary, he thought very highly of himself, if that ever was the case. To the point where he didn't even need to be formed, really, he didn't need to be in seminary. He had all the answers, he had everything figured out. What did the seminary have to tell him, which is why they said, sayonara, baby, would not take him. Didn't let him in. I mean, didn't let him him continue. See, that's the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees. Those men believed in themselves. They thought so highly of themselves that they could attain salvation by their own good works, by their own merits. They didn't even need God. To which Jesus immediately told them, you're going to hell. No question about it. He was very clear. The only really group of people that he absolutely, unquestionably condemned to the fires of eternal damnation were those men who were absolutely assured of themselves. Those men who were completely self-confident. Those men who believed in themselves. My friends, belief in ourselves, self-confidence in the total sense of the word, is ultimately a failed cause. Something that will lead to us never ever succeeding. And this is true about life in general. Think about a sports team. If a team is confident and arrogant in the, where their abilities and their talents and their, their, their team just in general, they'll never train hard. They'll never practice. They'll never work together. They'll just simply go through the motions and never ever actually go for the gold. Unless a team recognizes that it can be beat, it will never strive to win. In which case it will always get rolled over, no question about it. And also on top of that, not only is total self-confidence, a failed attempt at success. It's also a failed attempt at fun. You can't have fun if you're constantly obsessing about yourself. It doesn't work. You can't enjoy a sunset if all you're doing is worried about your GPA. You can't enjoy a party if all you're doing is thinking about how good you look or how bad you look. You can't enjoy preaching a homily if you're constantly thinking about how you look younger than the altar servers. It's not possible. (laughs) If all we do is think about ourselves, we'll never enjoy the gifts that God is looking to give us. It won't happen. Life will just pass us by and we'll be sitting there on our thrones in our kingdom, ultimately experiencing eternal damnation. So then how do we do this? How do we avoid this this absolute self-confidence where we put ourselves on a pedestal and call ourselves God? How do we instead have fun? How do we instead bear fruit? How do we instead get to heaven? What do we do? And the answer is in our Gospels today. My friends, in our gospel today, Jesus took off. He told the disciples, get in your boat and just go across the Sea of Galilee. No real real instructions, but go. And he told them to do that in about evening time. So let's say they took off at about 6, 7, 8 o'clock. Let's say it's 8 o'clock at night, just for theory's sake. Now, he went off to the mountainside to pray, and they took off. And all of a sudden, a storm broke out. And as the scriptures say, the boat was a few miles offshore. It was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. The Greek basically means that the waves were torturing the boat. They were hitting it. Now, to give you a little bit of an idea on what the symbolism behind this is, all throughout scriptures, the sea symbolized the world, It symbolized the demons. It symbolized the devil. The sea before the age of snorkels, before the age of of oxygen that you could put in canisters, before the age of scuba diving, was the most dangerous place on the planet. It was easy to be killed in the sea. It was easy to drown. There was was no taming of the sea. it It was a place of mystery and a place of incredible danger. And so the symbolism behind the boat being pummeled by the waves is a symbol of our lives, of how, our, how we, our lives, can be pummeled by tragedy, by temptation, by darkness, by evil. That's what's going on here. It's a great symbol of what life is like here in the trenches, what life is like here on this earth. My friends, not only, though, did it did it was it a traumatic experience for a short time. This lasted until the fourth watch of the night. That means 4 p.m. Whenever the night is exceptionally, excuse me, not 4 p.m., 4 a.m., I bet. That's eight hours of being pummeled and tortured and dragged all throughout the sea. That's eight hours of a complete and total nightmare. Imagine that eerie setting, total darkness, almost pitch black. There were no lights back then, only the stars, if there were any out. And you're being pummeled by the waves. Your life is in your hands. You're about to die. And then all of a sudden, you see a ghost-like figure. My friends, at that moment, the disciples were aware of one thing and one thing only, and it wasn't themselves. They had zero self-confidence. There's absolutely no possible way they could have. What could they have possibly done? All they could have done is really fallen over and died or hung on to the boat as long as they could and hope, beyond hope, that the storm would pass. And what this is a symbol of and what this shows us is that we, as a people, need to be aware of our weaknesses. Be aware of our limitations. Be aware that we are not God. Be aware that we live in a world where the sea will toss us about. Where we will be tempted. Where we will be dragged down by evil. Where things will go wrong. We need to be aware of this. And this this is absolutely key. And you know, As 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 guys, there's a tendency of like, man, I don't really want to like focus on my weaknesses. I want to like focus on my strengths. But the reality is, if you avoid that, if we avoid that as men to focus on our weaknesses, we're avoiding the very thing that people can exploit. Give you an example: the Marine Corps, the SEALs, soldiers. What's the first thing they do whenever they send them off to boot camp? They beat down their weaknesses. They show those soldiers, those future soldiers, those future Marines, those future SEALs that they are weak. Pathetic human beings. And that the only way they're ever going to defeat evil is if they acknowledge their weakness, if they acknowledge limitation, and learn to trust each other. Learn to trust their equipment. Learn to trust their military commanders. Learn to trust the game plan to fight. That's how we're going to fight evil. By recognizing that we need help. That, that, by recognizing that we need our brothers. That we need our Lord. That we need our God. My friends, only weakness will we ever, ever have the sensibility to cry out to God for help, which is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees did not do. They didn't see themselves as weak. They saw themselves as strong. And because of that, they lost salvation. My friends, God will always answer that cry for help, though. But he doesn't do it just by enabling us. He expects a little something, a little test. And that's seen by this parable, by this this experience. The cry, of the, God will answer our prayers only if we give him a little, a little bit of our lives, a little risk, only if we're willing to get out of the boat. But how do we get out the boat? How do we, we, like Peter, climb out of that boat and answer the call of God? The call of God where Jesus looks at you, looks at me, and says, Come. Come my way. Follow me. Be with me. Fight for me. Conquer this evil. Because, my friends, if we can listen to God, if we can follow him, the impossible will happen. We'll be able to traverse over the waters of life, over the demons, over the temptations, over the evils, and nobody will be able to touch us. We will transcend like the angels. That must be how Peter felt. And the only way to do this is by first being obedient. My friends, Jesus doesn't really, I mean, maybe, maybe some of you guys have that special grace, but Jesus, for the vast majority of us, will not appear in the flesh. No, instead, he uses people like the ch- people within the church to teach us his words, to give us his wisdom. And so, the first thing to do is be obedient to the church, listen to what the church has to say. But the second way to listen to that cry of God, to Jesus' invitation to follow Him, is to be silent. My friends, the devil comes in noise. The devil comes in chaos. The devil is like the sea pounding and pounding and pounding away, just like like the first reading where Elijah heard, heard hurricanes, heard tornadoes, heard earthquakes, and God was in none of that. My friends, that's the devil. The devil is looking to intimidate us and beat us with noise and confusion and chaos. But God, God is a silent God, He comes quietly. And if we're ever to listen to the voice of the Lord, if we're ever going to be one with him, we must adopt that silence. We must be like him and be able to listen to that whisper in the wind that Elijah heard and be able to listen to that single word answer that Jesus gave Peter. Come. And my friends, there's one last thing, though, that we need if we're ever going to follow the Lord, if we're ever going to traverse over the scorpions and the the snakes of this world, if we're ever going to traverse over the sea, and that is confidence. No second-guessing. If you're an engineer, if you're a carpenter, if you're an architect, there's nothing wrong with a little second-guessing. There's nothing wrong wrong with a little checking things over, measuring things twice, making sure that this is exactly right. But if you're a Christian, and if the Lord speaks to this church, and the Lord calls, there's no place for second-guessing. That's what Peter did. Peter was locked into the gaze of Christ. And he sought him. He went, he went after him, but he second-guessed. He began to rely on himself, believe in himself, and began to worry about the wind. And because of that, he crashed into the water and needed help and saving. My friends, we're going to second-guess. We're going to sin. That's, that's not okay, but it's understandable. And the Lord will be here. He'll be here in confession, and he'll help us out. Because, my friends, at the end of the day, ultimately, if we're going to really follow the Lord, We can't believe in ourselves. That's unfruitful, and that's boring. No, we as Christians instead adopt another belief. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. My friends, that's fun. That's exciting. And that is worth it.